Hey everyone, welcome to Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor and I'm one of the pastors here at Infused Church. Happy Easter. Today we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which is in many ways an unbelievable story. But today we're going to talk about how even in your own moments of unbelief, your own moments of doubt, you can relate to the story of the resurrection and learn about its significance for our lives. So stick around. But today, today the reason, the reason that um, we are all here, the reason that there are billions of people literally around the world celebrating today, the reason, honestly, for Christianity, and the reason I think today could be a game changer for you is an event, in fact, a remarkable, a remarkable event, an event that perhaps you and I could consider to be unbelievable happened uh, just shy of 2,000 years ago today. And in fact, I think the unremarkableness of it should draw our attention a little bit to at least consider a little bit more of uh, or about this particular event, even though it may be a little bit unbelievable or maybe difficult to believe in. And that event that I'm referring to, and you're probably familiar with, part of the reason you're here, is that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, rose from the grave. That he was resurrected. And as you probably know, that is not a common thing. It doesn't happen too often. And it's not something that we normally talk about. It's not something that tomorrow you're going to talk about at work. In fact, I would just challenge you tomorrow to try to naturally bring into the conversation that Jesus rose from the grave. You could do it awkwardly, for sure, but to do it naturally is going to be a real challenge. And I think in some ways that's why we look at this story, we look at this moment of Easter, of resurrection of a man named Jesus as a little bit unbelievable because it's just kind of not our norm. And just simply put, it leaves us with this sense that this is a little difficult to wrap our minds around, maybe our hearts around. It's a little bit unbelievable. Now, I thought it would be important because I realize for some of you we haven't met before. It's been a long time since we last met. That I would share a little bit about myself. Um, and and if, you, if you're here often, you probably know this pretty well by this point. Um, but that when I grew up, uh, personally, I liked church. Um, I went to church often, all the time, and, and served in church and all that. Um, I didn't, per se, get the whole spiritual thing, but I enjoyed the community that I was a part of and the friends I had and the relationships that I had. And so when I left that environment, when I left and went off to college, left home, left my home church, the story of Jesus and Easter became a little bit more this to me. That as I walked away from that group of people, and I walked away from my home and what I was familiar with for all of my life, doubts began to creep in. Unbelief began to creep in to my life and my faith framework, if you will. And I started asking questions to myself and of others, is this real? Is this story of Jesus relevant? And then I finally ended on, I'm not really sure that it is. In fact, to me, for a time and a season of my life, a couple of years of my life, the story of Jesus, Jesus, was a little bit too unbelievable. 
And this was for a number of reasons. And, and if that's your story too, you probably have your own reasons. But at least for me, I would look at the Bible and I'd say, hey, you know, there's some inconsistencies here that I can't quite reconcile. Um, I'm not sure quite how science and, and faith and Bible and Jesus, they all work together. It's kind of a mess to me. And I looked at the whole thing. Uh, and then, then I went to college, which I don't know if, if you've ever had that experience. When you go to college and you have a choice to make, am I going to leave live a life like Jesus would want me to at college, and then you look at like just like living the college life. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't pick the Jesus one, okay? Because I thought following Jesus in college wouldn't be quite as fun, and so I went a different direction. But I, I ended up in this place of unbelief. And perhaps for you, that resonates a lot. And perhaps for you, you have a lot of questions around that. In fact, perhaps for you, you do something that I do when I went to church the handful of times when I considered myself an agnostic. I'd sit and I'd listen to the pastor share an unbelievable story and I'd just sit there and I'd poke holes in what the pastor had to say. And so if that's you this morning, that's totally cool. You can poke as many holes as you want. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it's not just the, the skeptics here this morning that, that do that. Um, the, the Christians here, they also do that. Like sometimes after, after services, they'll be like, I think you said that wrong. I don't think I, I agree with you on that. They poke holes too. So the bottom line is I really can't win. Okay? Never going to make everybody happy. But that's okay. I'm still going to get up here and do this. But regardless, if you have found yourself at any point in your life or currently with any form of doubt or unbelief when it comes to this, listen, I understand. We understand. And that's why we started this church. But for me, and I hope for you, you wouldn't just stop here. My hope for you is that you would ask questions. And because when you ask questions, you get answers. And maybe you aren't happy with those answers, so you ask more questions. And you begin a journey of seeking to better understand. And for me, as I did this, I began to connect dots that I didn't see before. And eventually, spoiler alert, I became a pastor. And to some of you, you're like, well, time out. I don't want to go on that journey because I don't want to be a pastor. To which I get that totally, okay? It is a lot. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, well, anyways. Okay, so... Um, you might want to stay here, but I would encourage you not to. Because the last thing I want for you is that your unbelief or your doubts or your concern with Jesus to be unnecessary. And more specifically, I don't want Easter, I don't want Easter to be unbelievable unnecessarily. Because I think a lot of times the reasons that we put the un before the believe is because of reasons that may be understandable, may be justifiable, but perhaps aren't the most necessary. And I explain what I mean. Perhaps you're here this morning and you got invited uh, to church today or your spouse looked at you and said, we're going to church. Or we're going to church. I don't know. Whatever framework. Okay. So you're going to go to church, right? You got to go with your family or it's just the tradition. So that's what you do. And I get that. And I'm glad you're here. You may not be glad you're here, but I'm glad you're here. Perhaps for you, your unbelief um, stemmed from uh, your interactions with Christians or your exposure to Christians because Christians to you just meant a couple of things like they're just mean, they're a bit hypocritical, and they're a whole lot of judgmental. Okay, something like that. And you're like, you know what? I'm just not going to believe in that. Understandable, but I'm, I'm thinking it might be a little bit unnecessary. Or maybe for you, you grew up and you had to go to church. Your parents made you go to church and it was just simply boring. Church services were just boring, okay? And so when you had a chance, you like unbelieved your way out the door. 
okay? Or maybe uh, when you went uh, off and became an adult, or you left high school, you left college, okay? Your childhood version of Jesus did not stand up to your adult life. Or maybe you made decisions in your past that deep down in your soul you knew were wrong. And you knew that if you, were ever, uh, if you were ever to move forward in faith, you'd have to reconcile some of those things with God, and you don't want to. Because, let's be honest, we try to avoid conflict. We generally don't lean into conflict. So you just stay away. Or, I think what's more prevalent these days in, in our society, is we're just honestly too busy to believe. Because to believe means we have to change our schedules around and between all the practices and all the work events and all that, it is just difficult to do. And so we just unbelieve because in a lot of ways it's easier. Or maybe you're a Christian or you're kind of a Christian. And you would say, Taylor, the reason I struggle with unbelief, the reason that I struggle with doubt is because one day I prayed. And like I prayed really, really well, like probably the best prayer I've ever prayed in my life, okay? And God didn't answer it. And God didn't fix it. And God didn't fix the people I needed him to fix fast enough. Or maybe I needed him to fix me and he didn't fix me. And so Taylor, at this point in my life, it's just easier if I don't believe. And like I said, honestly, if you came up here and you stood and you shared your story with us, and you explained it all, we would probably sit there and say, you know what, that's understandable. That's even maybe justifiable. But, I want you to consider the story we're going to read today. Because I think that sometimes we let some unnecessary things get in the way and cause us some amount, or a complete amount, of unbelief. And I mean that to say, the disciples... The people who were Jesus' closest followers, the people who were with Jesus day in and day out for years of his life, years of his life, unbelieved. In fact, if you would have taken all your problems or your concerns, or your doubts, or, or whatever kind of stirred up for you when we just talked through that, okay, and you went to the disciples on Easter morning, and you stood before them, and you said, here's why I don't believe, you know what they'd say? They'd say, we get unbelievable. We get it. We get it. But the reason we get it is not because we're too busy. The disciples weren't too busy, right? They, they didn't have electricity, so they didn't have, you know, phones and internet and email and all that stuff. It wasn't because of the Bible, because that hadn't even been invented yet. That would come years, decades, centuries actually later. It wasn't because of Christians and how Christians treated them, because guess what? Christianity didn't even exist quite yet. The word Christian didn't come around until a few years later. And it wasn't because church services were boring, because they'd look at you if you said church services were boring. They'd say, I don't even know what a church service is. See, the reason they would say we get unbelievable is because the man that they followed was dead. They would say, we get unbelievable, not because of all those things, but because Jesus died. He's dead. 
gone. See, Jesus, we followed him, okay, and he made all these claims. He said he was the life, the resurrection, the Son of God, the forgiver of sin. He was the Lamb of God. He was Christ. He was the Messiah, the chosen one of God. The prophecies foretold him. And then he died. And you don't have to be a Christian to understand that if you say you are the Son of God and then you die, you weren't probably the Son of God. And so they would say, we get it. And what I love about Easter is even though that's what they'd say, guess what? We're still here. Y'all came out for various reasons to celebrate Easter in an elementary school gym. Or if you're watching online, wherever you are. And the mor this morning we celebrate with almost 2 billion Christians around the world the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Why is there a contradiction between the disciples who, who followed him but now said they unbelieved and yet 2,000 years we're still here? Why do we still show up? It's because those same disciples, as we're going to read, because those same disciples were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. See, they saw Jesus die, buried, unbelieved, yet said and told us that he was back alive. See, we think, as Christians, we think the unbelievable Easter is believable because, because people like Matthew, or we think it was probably Matthew, maybe it could have been somebody else, but somebody like Matthew or somebody with first-hand experience saw Jesus, experienced it, and wrote it down, and then we read it 2,000 years later. Or people like Mark, who we think maybe have been John Mark, who followed Paul around. He got his information from Peter, and if you're Catholic, you know Peter, big deal, okay? Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, sat down with Mark and told him his experience. Okay, Peter, who had breakfast with Jesus on the beach after his crucifixion, Peter, okay? Luke, who said at the beginning of his account of Jesus' life, he said, I thoroughly investigated all these things, and I just want you all to know the incredible things I have learned about. Or John, John was an eyewitness of Jesus, one of Jesus' also closest followers, okay? And then he writes his account of Jesus' life. James, James, the brother of Jesus, said Jesus was his Savior. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was your Savior? I mean, some of you maybe even have said to your brother, well, if you're that incredible, go walk on water or something snarky like that, okay? And Jesus did. But I don't think James believed him because, well, we know James didn't believe him because he kind of said as much. But it wasn't until Jesus died and rose again and James saw him that James was like, I believe. And so James wrote about it in a book we call James. And then there was Paul, and Paul, who was part of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who had Jesus executed. They were the ones behind it all. Paul even says, no, I have seen a resurrected Savior, and it changed my life. And then they wrote it all down, and over the centuries, it got compiled, and it's what we call today the New Testament in our Bible. All their accounts and all of what they experienced. All of what they experienced. So maybe, maybe today, maybe today, you would think about, given all of this, following Jesus. And if that's not enough, one more thing. There are still people today, 
Still people today who are sharing stories of Jesus. People today, as if you stick around till tomorrow, or till next Sunday, excuse me, when we have baptisms, or if you go onto our website, you can listen to people's stories. There are people still today that say, you know what, I have decided to follow Jesus, and my life has changed for the better. I have found freedom in my life. I have found peace and love and compassion. It just overflows from my life. My life is now better because I follow Jesus. And it happens today, and we hear their stories, and we hear 2,000-year-old stories, and we say, wow, there may be, maybe something here. And when you put all of that together, you put all of that together, maybe, maybe, just for you, today, you would move from, this is unbelievable, to this is unbelievably believable. So what I'm going to do next is a little crazy. I'm going to actually read the Easter story to you on Easter. I know. Bet you weren't expecting that. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to read how men and women 2,000 years ago went from this to this. And for you Christians in the room, you will be reminded, or perhaps you will celebrate with these disciples their transition from unbelievable to unbelievably believable. But if you're not a Christian and you're, and you're a little bit of a skeptic and you're not sure about this whole thing and you really don't want to be here, okay, maybe you could tune in for the next like 15 minutes or so and hear a story of how a bunch of people move from unbelievable to believable and consider it yourself. So here's how the story goes. If you were here last Sunday, um, we talked about an event called Palm Sunday, the Sunday where Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and everybody behind him in a big parade, they're waving palms and they're really excited, okay? And you maybe, you even remember what I talked about last week and you, you'll do the homework today as we go through this, okay? But 2,000 years ago, wait, comes in, everybody's stoked, Everybody's excited. Jesus is king. Jesus is Messiah. He's the son of God. Things are going really well. And all of his disciples are with him. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, go, Jesus. Give me a J. Give me an E kind of thing. Oh, yeah, this is super, super exciting, okay? And it doesn't even end there because then for the next couple of days, Jesus goes around the city of Jerusalem and he heals sick people and he calls out corruption and he teaches equality. He does all this super justice stuff and it's just great. And you're like, Jesus is like a superhero and the disciples are like, oh yeah, okay, and then it kind of turns a little weird because then Jesus has them all over for dinner, okay, we call it Passover or the Last Supper, okay, and the disciples watch this thing happen, they're like, huh, I mean, things are going, oh, oh yeah, now it's kind of like, huh, okay, because Jesus, Jesus sits them all down and says, I am going to give you one last commandment, I need you to love people, love each other as I have loved you, and then to at, 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 as if to punctuate the point, as if to drive home what he was getting at. He takes out his outer robe, he gets down on his hands and feet, and then he washes their feet to symbolize his love and his service and his sacrifice for them. And then he says, I'm going to die for you because I love you. And that's the kind of love that I want to show to, I want you to show to everybody else. And then Peter's like, whoa, Jesus, did you just say you're going to die? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, well, not if I die first for you. And Jesus is like, that's not the point, Peter. And you're going to deny me, Peter. And we'll get there, Peter, okay? But everybody was like, this is just kind of huh, weird. And then what happens next is this guy named Judas goes out and gets a bunch of high priests and people who want to execute Jesus. They come over and they arrest him, okay? He's betrayed and he's arrested, okay? And, and essentially, his disciples react this way. Run. 
And this is where the unbelief begins to get into the story. Literally, they run. And if you're if you're not if you've not heard this before, I'll just share a little fun little tidbit for you. Okay, there's one disciple. He ran so fast that when the temple guard reached out to grab him, okay, they pulled his outfit off. So he literally left running naked into the woods. Okay? You're like, is that really in the Bible, Taylor? It is really in the Bible. This is why you need to read your Bible. Mark chapter 14. Don't look it up now. Look, at, look up the naked verse later. Okay? But really is in there. Guy goes running naked in the woods because they're running away. Why? Because messiahs do not get arrested, let alone betrayed. And this didn't look good for Jesus. And everybody runs except for one man named Peter who follows Jesus but ends up denying that he even knows the guy three times. And it really makes you wonder. I don't know. This is just complete, like, me wondering myself. Um, but, like, because Mark wrote this about the guy running away naked, you know. And, like, maybe Peter, to kind of make himself not look as bad, when he told Mark about the whole story, he's like, no, you know, I denied Jesus three times. But I didn't run away naked. <laughs> And so Mark wrote that down. I don't know. Complete speculation. You can wonder about that later. We're moving on, okay? Then things get really serious. Get really serious. Because Jesus is crucified. You want to know what his disciples do? Nothing. Because they've all run away. Because they've gone from complete excitement to hiding, cowarding. And if you want to say maybe they did something, you could say they unbelieved. There was just unbelief for them now. Because like I said, Jesus claimed too much about himself, and then he died. And so they are sitting there, utterly lost, scared, and certainly not believing. And that's where we're going to pick up the story, because we get to the burial of Jesus. And you want to know where his disciples are in his funeral? Not at his funeral. In fact, it takes a guy, Luke tells us, Luke, who thoroughly investigated these things, tells us in chapter 23, there was a man named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, okay? And Joseph was a member of the council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was one of the men who participated in the decision to execute Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And he, though, Luke says, was a good and upright man who did not consent. He didn't want it to happen. He didn't believe Jesus should be put to death because he believed in Jesus. He was a secret follower of Jesus even though he was on the Jewish ruling council. He did not consent to their decision and actions to execute Jesus. And so he goes in and he goes to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and says, Pilate, I need Jesus' body. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to give it the respect it deserves because otherwise Jesus would have just hung on the cross until the wild animals and crows would have eaten him. And then some slave probably at some point would have gone up and torn down what was left and thrown it in the garbage, literally. That's what you did to crucified people. But not for Jesus. He goes and takes Jesus and puts him in a tomb. And the women, some of the women who were Jesus' most faithful followers, almost from the beginning, women who financially supported and invested in Jesus' ministry, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph, maybe secretly, I don't know, saw the tomb and how his body was laid in, and it was like, he did not do that right. As some of you wives have told your husband, don't worry, honey, I got this, okay? That's kind of what they were. They're like, we're going to take care of this. So then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes to re-embalm the body. 
Why do you prepare spices and perfumes? Because you did not prepare for it in the first place. Because they did not prepare for Jesus to die. Even though Jesus said that he would, they didn't believe. Let alone did they believe that he would rise again. And so there they are, preparing. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment from Friday night to Saturday night, sundown to sundown. They rested. They rested. And while they rested, one of the most probably ironic, the greatest irony in this story happens next. The people, the people who had Jesus executed gave more credibility to the claims of Jesus than the people who followed him. You see, the Jewish leaders who had Jesus executed remembered that Jesus said he would rise again. So they went back to Pilate and said, Pilate, we need another favor. We need you to give us some Roman guards and we need you to seal the tomb because our fear is that Jesus' body will be stolen and then his disciples will come and say that he rose again and we'll have a whole new problem on our hands. Think about this. While the disciples are hiding in complete unbelief, these guys are out there just to be sure. They go and have this tomb sealed. In other words, they give more credibility to the claims of Jesus than even his closest followers. While his disciples are over there saying, you know what? <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Like, we're not going to steal a body. If we didn't risk our lives in Jesus' greatest moment of need when he was arrested and betrayed and all that, why in the world would we do it now? So Pilate has the tomb sealed and guards placed. And this is what happens Sunday morning. Luke tells us, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, the women, came to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, what did they find? They did not find the body. And what did they do when they did not find the body? They leapt for joy, shouting, He has risen, to which all the church people who have been to church a long time and know how this goes, they said, He has risen, and then they all go, He has risen, That was so unexciting, but you'll have another chance, so just get ready for it, okay? No, they didn't do this at all. I completely made this up, which is another reason why you need to read your Bible, make sure I'm actually preaching the right stuff, okay? I made this up. They didn't at all. No, this is what Luke tells us that they did. They did not find the body. Next slide. Yeah, that. Oh, sorry, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> Nobody expected nobody. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll move on. All right, all right. But when they went in, they did not find a body while they were perplexed about it. So they're sitting there in the tomb and they're like, we're perplexed. Because that's what you do when you don't believe Jesus would rise again. So then angels show up and tell them that Jesus rose again to which they're like, What? So then they run back to the 11 disciples and they go to the 11 disciples who are hiding and they say to the 11 disciples, they say, returning from the tomb, they told all this to them. They said, well, angels, body wasn't there. We were perplexed. And then the, the, what, what do you think when the, um, when the disciples, all, the 11 heard that there was no body, what body, what do you think they did? You'll never guess. They left for joy. Yeah, they shouted, He has risen, to which the church then responded, He has risen indeed. This is a little bit better. Okay. No, they didn't do that at all. They didn't. What did they say? 
But they did not, Luke says, they did not believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like what? Nonsense. So doesn't it make you kind of sit there and wonder, why would you write this down? Like, if you just don't believe, why do you even record it? Why do you even take time to remember this? If you are the disciples who follow Jesus, experienced his death and eventual resurrection, why would you not write yourself into the story like a little bit better than you are? Because right now you just seem kind of ignorant. Why, why would you try to communicate to the world? No, seriously, we did not believe that he was coming back. That's, a, that's just not great marketing. Like, hey, come follow us, Jesus followers, okay? C come be followers with us. We're really bad at it, okay? We don't even trust the guy that we follow enough to really believe he's going to rise again. We even have a guy, his name is Doubting Thomas, okay? But you should hang out with us. No one, no one writes themselves into the story saying, you know what, we were at the tomb on Sunday morning. We were standing out there with big cue cards, 10, counting down, 9, waiting for Jesus to come out of the tomb, 8. None of that. Because they unbelieved. It was too much to believe. Why do you write it down like that? Why do you record it for history to remember you by in that way? I think it's because this is real. And it really happened. I think the reason that they recorded themselves in the light that they did, in the perspective that they did, is because they really didn't believe. But then, and here's the craziest part of it. Jesus comes back. They see him. And then for the next weeks and years, they go into the city of Jerusalem to the same people who had Jesus executed. And they told them, they said, you killed Jesus. God raised him. We saw him alive again. Say you're sorry. That's pretty much the book of Acts. You can go read it. They take risk knowing that they very well could be crucified themselves. They, they didn't take the risk when Jesus was in need, but now they took the risk. Why did they take the risk now? Because the man that they followed died and rose again. And I'm just telling you, when the person you follow doesn't seem to have an issue with death, neither do you. When the person you follow says you don't need to worry about death, then neither do you after you see them die and rise again. And this is what moved doubt-ridden unbelieving disciples move them from unbelievable to unbelievably believable. And what this means for you and for me is that all the unbelievable parts of Jesus and all the unbelievable things that he taught and said, perhaps if he really did rise again, are more like unbelievably Believable. In other words, if you don't believe in sin or you have an issue with sin, this, this missing the mark with God and missing the mark with God's children, all his people, if that's where you struggle, perhaps you should consider moving more to it's believable. 
that if perhaps you struggle with this idea of new life, that perhaps you can have life after death, or, or you can live a better life now, a new life now, full of peace and love and kindness and forgiveness and mercy and all these awesome things that Jesus talks about. And that's unbelievable to you? I'm just saying, if he rose again, perhaps you got to move from unbelievable to unbelievably believable. And if you're a Christian here this morning, what Jesus' resurrection means is that in the moments where you struggle with the unbelievable, the faith that you put into Jesus is not in vain. Whether you're new to Christianity or you've been doing it for 40 years, your faith, who you trust in, is not in vain. Why? Because death is not an issue for him. And everything he claimed to be turned out to be true. And that every time you go out and you try to follow Jesus, like, you know, you try to love on people and care for people and sacrifice for people, and you give generously here at the church, and you give generously to nonprofits, and you, and you live just a new life, that it is worth it. As unbelievable as sometimes it is when you're writing that check or you're stepping out in love or you're doing something that makes you uncomfortable, it has the potential to change the world because the disciples did when they moved from the unbelievable to unbelievably believable. I just want you to know that if you came today, you really didn't want to be here, and you're really struggling with this idea of Jesus and God and following Him and, and everything kind of in between, you're not alone. Jesus' closest followers would say, we get unbelievable. But then they would also follow up with that and say. But then Jesus came back and he changed our lives and he can change yours too.